According to the National Center for Education Statistics, Department of Education. In 2018 and 2019, the number of students ages 3 to 21 who received special education services through the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, was 7.1 million, or 14% of the public school population. When it comes to their physical education, the question remains, how effective are those services for this segment of our student population? To examine this question in further detail, I turn to Dr. Scott McNamara, an assistant professor at the University of Northern Iowa who teaches physical education and adaptive physical education courses. Dr. McNamara is originally from Detroit and has experience as a special educator and an adaptive physical educator as well. In addition, Dr. McNamara has also developed the What's New in APE podcast, which examines his field with in-depth interviews with industry professionals and panel experts. He joined me this week to have a revealing and consequential conversation on this essentially important topic. I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. But Professor, if you're ready, I'll welcome you to the program. And I'm excited to talk to you about uh, adaptive uh, physical education this morning. Great to be with you this morning. And thank you so very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Professor, I wanted to begin our discussion this morning just to get your overall view on the state of adaptive physical education in America and where you think that stands. Well, uh, you know, that is a big question. Um, so adapted physical education is, it was kind of uh, born within the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act in 1975. And that's where uh, the, the, the service or label of adapted physical education kind of originates, right? So it's been around for uh, about, you know, 45 years. Um, in some capacity, right? And maybe there was something that looked similar to it before that as well. Um, but that's where a lot of us see kind of our origin story. Um, you know, so with that, I, it really depends state to state, district to district on how strong adaptive physical education services are. I'm a big advocate of, you know, 
getting people with disabilities and all people access to to recreation, physical activity, and promotion of health. And I think that's in the literature, at least, it's pretty evident that that's not always the case. So this is an avenue to try to kind of um, build those areas up. But when you ask, like, what's the status of this nationwide, it, it really depends. What I have seen in my my experience is there's pockets of really quality programming out there. Um, La Crosse, Wisconsin has some. There's some areas in Michigan. Um, when I lived in Dallas, uh, Texas, there was a lot of that. There's a lot of areas in um, California, Minnesota, Maryland. Um, so there's kind of these pockets. And even though I'm saying states, they're not always the entire state either um, of really high quality programming. Um, but what I see my, you know, my stance on, on the assessment of it is that there's a lot of districts that don't follow, um, the law. They, they kind of either don't know about the services, um, or they kind of ignore them. And so I would say there's a lot of haves and have nots and a lot more have nots in the field of adaptive physical education. Um, so, you know, I guess that's the, uh, generally how I see it is that it's an area that it's, it's in, my, in my opinion, I believe it's very, a very, very important service within the, the special education realm, right? Um, uh, of try and I, I think physical education is a really important piece of education that I think is not talked about a lot, and it's partially because physical education teachers not are not always the best have not always represented the field that well. Um, but to me, education should not just be about math and reading, but it should be about developing the body, um, learning uh, about movement and learning about it just, my, my overall thing is I think it's an important area that I think has been overall neglected um, in, in student with disabilities educational programming and I think there's a lot of avenues to talk about it because I think it's not just I think that physical education by itself regardless of ability is something that's not always taught to the most meaningful way and it's something that is also neglected or not seen as having a high importance in um, a lot of the, the, the key stakeholders in the education world. Absolutely. And Professor, uh, having cerebral palsy myself, I know the value of physical movement and physical education. And certainly when we look at uh, uh, educational budgets, uh, certainly when uh, budget cuts have to be made, uh, oftentimes physical education is one of the first things that that is looked to be trimmed uh, when we look at, at uh, the support staff that's provided to uh, people with uh, dis disabilities and schools. Um, so I'm wondering your thoughts on the impact of budget cuts as it relates to the quality of physical education that we can provide students? Well, I think the literature in, in my experiences are that, you know, they are often very limited. What you said is true. They're the first to kind of be cut or the first not to be considered if there are, you know, it's, 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 it's a rough world. And then, you know, sometimes then you have equipment that's 30, 40 years old or personnel staff that's not going there. One thing I'll, I'll mention is that as it relates to people with disabilities, the literature I think is really 
strong in the last few years of trying to talk to people with disabilities about their experiences in physical education. And what we hear, and not all groups of people with disabilities are represented in that literature, um, mainly people with physical disabilities or, um, or visual impairments is a really prominent one. But we see that they often have really negative experiences in physical education for a variety of reasons. Um, maybe the teacher is not that well trained in working with kids with disabilities or has, you know, maybe a, a, a certain mindset. We get the story of the scorekeeper where the kid's more of a scorekeeper rather than participating in physical education in a meaningful way. Uh, we also get, you know, that sometimes kids with disabilities, um, feel like their disabilities put on display in a very unique way because their bodies put on display in front of their peers. And so we've heard all these kind of things that I would say have been negative and then maybe even some people's experiences are scarring. Now, I don't have a disability, so I can't speak to that myself. But when I hear these things and I, and I hear about how terrible experiences that many children with disabilities have in this specific setting. And then I also hear that resources are being taken away. I don't think that's going, I think that's going to, versus us trying to mediate and help this problem and try to give a better quality program for physical education, which then promotes exercise, physical activity, and just, you know, health and well-being for uh, people with disabilities. But like when we're taking resources away, we're basically making the, we're, we're going to exaggerate or we're going to make the problem worse. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, you know, those are the things that I'm focused on. The things that I'm fearful of when we're talking about cutting is that we're talking about, you know, we're talking about often making the programming even worse than it already is versus trying to help make it better and i know that one of the ways that you are trying to uh, uh deliver or elevate that message is through your podcast what's doing ape uh so i'm wondering if you can tell me about the podcast and i i know that you talk to industry experts about this very problem yeah no uh i've had the podcast now for about five and a half years which seems really crazy and uh, makes me feel like I'm starting, you know, I started it all young and excited and I love podcasting. I'm doing research on using podcasts to kind of, you know, disseminate knowledge and to improve attitudes. Um, yeah, I've been doing it and I went into it really naively. Um, you know, I don't know what your story is about starting the podcast, but I um, was going through iTunes years ago now, and I was listening to like Jalen and Jacoby, which is a basketball one and stuff like that. And then I looked up my field of adapted physical activity and I saw nothing. And um, I thought, well, let me try this. And I did, and it started off slow and then it's gained some momentum. People seem to actually listen to it or a few people do. And uh, I interview all types of people. I interview, actually interviewed um, a, a Canadian this morning in Alberta 
who did some research about the ethics of our field. And um, I, I talked to researchers, authors, um, maybe nonprofit executives, um, teachers, uh, you know, all types of people that are, you know, related in some way to our field. And we talk about who we are, what we are, why we are. And because I find that that connection is important, I also think that oftentimes physical educators, adaptive physical educators are kind of marginalized in their own school districts. They might be the only one. Uh, they might not feel that other people value what they do. And I find that I've gotten a lot of response from people in those positions that say, it was so nice to hear somebody else going through the same experience as me. So yeah, that's, that's been my, my, um, one of the things that I've been really interested in. Yeah, Professor, uh, since you brought it up, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, this podcast actually started uh, because I was about to start a job, a job that I had uh, previously. Uh, I was the ambassador for something called the Discoverability Network here in Windsor on behalf of uh, people with disabilities. It was Oh, when I worked on the network, I called it the eHarmony of dating because it was a website where you go on the website and you create a profile and you're matched with uh, employers who want to hire people with disabilities. And obviously, if you're a job seeker, it works the opposite way. And uh, during the time I was a, a part of the network, I, I was able to get a total of 70 people employed with a disability. They either, they, they either got a job or an internship. And I was about to start that job again and then COVID hit uh, because my job was to get employers and job seekers to sign up for the network. And then COVID hit and then my contract got suspended. So I had some extra time. So I started this podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. Everyone's story about making their podcast is always... I find something to be unique, but yeah, you know, um, to me, I, you know, I think that one of the big barriers in our, my field is, um, yeah, the amount of knowledge, quality knowledge out there. And so that's one of the things that I'm always trying to get and different perspectives. That's to me, cause like we, I could talk to you just about the power of podcasting because I think that podcasts are a really pow powerful tool to hear unique voices, unique experiences um and they tell them in a way that is not just this straight lecture versus it's conversation and conversation in itself is enticing yeah I, and i know that you studied uh podcasting at texas women's university and i'm, I'm curious what uh, lessons more specifically did you learn about podcasting and how it uh, can help in this regard Sure. So I've done so I, I've, I've done these two types of podcast studies so far. Uh, one in the one I did in my dissertation at Texas Women's University, I did it with these podcasts where they basically they're, they're these very short and concentrated podcasts that are like 10 minutes a piece. And I gave them um, I've given them to a few different people now to see knowledge change and self-efficacy, which is confidence change uh and such and and they they definitely do especially with knowledge change um they give you know quick information i look at those as like kind of those when you go into youtube and you look up like a how to 
whatever, like put in a toilet or whatever, you know, uh, like I look at those, those, those video podcasts as a very quick, like how to videos. Um, and they have shown to have good knowledge change, especially, and some self-efficacy change too. But, um, I've also then started looking at my own podcast, which I think resembles more of what you're doing, which are these open-ended, uh, long form interviews. And I have done focus groups and post interviews with, with people, most uh, my undergraduate students who have listened to them and asked them about their effectiveness, how they change their attitudes and, and knowledge towards something. And what I have found is I, I believe that these types of podcasts, when they're structured in a certain way, when you're talking to a certain guest and they're, they're centered around a topic, can actually lead to a really profound, um, deeper learning that I think is difficult to replicate in most other settings, which I think makes podcasting this long form type really unique. I think that, again, I think that conversations um, allow for this really unique kind of uh, um, interest level and you know authenticity which is also a big word when you start looking at podcasting literature is that we believe that podcasting is it's is a unique form of media in because it allows us to get an in-depth understanding um, and connection to those that are on the podcast so for example like when i watch 2020 with barbara walters she does a very very this is an interview right she's a journalist I don't feel like I know Barbara Walters at all, but if I, I listen to two or three of your podcasts, Kevin, and you're giving me stuff about who you are, I might feel that you, I know you. And now that I've done this for a few years, I have had the, not all the time at all, but I've had a few occurrences now where people come up to me at conferences and they, they feel like they know me. And I have never met them in my life. And it's because they're listening to the podcast and because there's this personal relationship that's occurring. So th there's a lot of stuff, I think, with these long form podcasts that they can be used in this really unique way to inform knowledge and like change attitudes and perspectives in a unique way that I think even in a traditional face to face setting um, is sometimes difficult to replicate. So, yeah, absolutely. And I'm uh, wanted to also ask you about the changes in, in physical education, Professor. And I'm particularly interested because I know for me, with my cerebral pulse, something like uh, swimming classes and uh, just spending 45 minutes in, in a pool really helps me. So, I'm wondering if you can comment on. Uh, how adaptive physical education has changed for the better. How has it changed for the better? Well, I, I think that we, we, I think that there is a lot of research out there. I think there's a lot of, you know, teachers and such that are being informed. Swimming is one of the best kind of uh, interventions or practices that, that has been researched. So, you know, I think utilizing those types of things, absolutely. I think that we've also have started to 
look at functionality of movement versus saying that this is the proper way to throw something. If I look at somebody with maybe cerebral palsy and I say, you know, like they're, this is what they're by, you know, this maybe isn't proper form for them. So what's the functionality? What's the best way I can do this? Um, looking at how the way your body moves, right? Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of improvements in that, those ways. I think in addition, we've done a lot with social emotional learning. So trying to meet, you know, trying to build up that entire idea of wellness um, and not just, and so we want to, you know, hit on all these pieces of being healthy. It's not just physical, um, but obviously we do want to get you those tools. Other things are getting students out into the community, actually taking them to a YMCA or a fitness center and showing them and also showing the staff members how to work with, with you know, people with disabilities. Um, I've also seen big things kind of in the wider world of adaptive physical activity, which is kind of just physical activity in general for people with disabilities. I've seen a lot with um, disability sport kind of clubs out there. I've seen, and I've seen a lot of like grassroots movements um, where they're creating disability sport clubs or recreation, um, therapeutic recreation kind of uh, uh, activities uh, or even fitness centers that are specially designed for people with disabilities. Um, I think that there's at times, sometimes physical educators that are collaborating with these groups that are kind of driving those forces. But to me, those are, are the areas that I have seen some of the biggest improvements, I would say, is uh, really strong grassroots movements um, where we're trying to get disability sports, uh, you know, access or access to disability sports. One other one that I'm really passionate about is especially like in middle school, high school, um, I'm really big and I've seen this a little bit more of teaching disability sports within high school, middle school classes, regardless of whether there's children with disabilities or certain types of disabilities in those classes. And to me, we teach it either as its own kind of unit and we teach it as a Paralympic unit. The Paralympics has done a tremendous job overall of um, improving attitudes and awareness and knowledge towards the importance of, of sport and, and health in people with disabilities. So you either teach it as a full unit and you go through a variety of kind of um, disability sports that, that encapsulate and, and demonstrate the culture that comes with sport and disability. Um, or you can do like a volleyball unit and within volleyball, you do a day or two of sitting volleyball uh, and just always kind of show it as here is another form of or a um, a closely related sport um, such as city city volleyball. So those things have been have been big improvements in my eyes. And uh, doctor, I'm also uh, curious to get your thoughts on uh, the impact of increased uh, physical education as it relates to the overall. Um, emotional and uh, mental development of people with disabilities. I know that for myself, uh, include I live my life uh, through a model that I've sort of coined as inclusion is the gateway to independence. And I uh, especially think this is true for uh, students with physical disabilities and, and the value of human connection when it comes to adaptive physical education. So I was just wondering your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, um, 
you know, I think that I think you got two big concepts there. And the one is about social emotional learning. I, you know, I, I worked at a, a day center, which is like basically a school for kids that have severe emotional um, disturbance, quote unquote, um, where, the, you know, and I saw physical education be this tremendous benefit for them. Every day we did these things called cooperative learning activities, which are basically working on things like trust and team, um, you know, leadership, uh, communication. And working through those things, I saw these to be a tremendous benefit and really hitting a curriculum that was meaningful. Um, again, I think that this stuff can be meaningful for all students. And it's something that I wish that, that education in general would emphasize more because I think that we need to be good citizens and, uh, and be happy. And those things come from understanding how to, how to listen, how to trust, how to communicate how to be a leader and a follower uh, and those cooperative learning things that I think can really hit those. Obviously exercise goes into that too, of trying to regulate, um, you know, our hormone levels and making us, you know, just endorphins and dopamine and all those positive things that we also want to hit in there. You then hit on that idea. I think you said of inclusion leads to independence. And, you know, I, I definitely have a strong take on what is inclusion. And in my eyes, inclusion is what your experience is um, and feeling a sense of belonging and acceptance within a group. So I think when you say, you know, inclusion is the gateway to independence, I would completely agree with you. Um, but I think that when we say inclusion, I think it's important that when we talk about inclusion, it's not just merely I'm sitting in a room with people with disabilities and people that are able-bodied rather that the people with disabilities feel like they're uh, and people that are able-bodied feel like they're part of the same group um, and feel connected to each other, feel accepted with and, and, you know, and safe um, and feel like they belong in the same, you know, or feel like they are part of this larger group. I think that um, that needs to happen versus just us saying that, you know, we do this a lot. Physical education has also been called a dumping ground for people with disabilities, where it's maybe the only class in special, in, you know, in the K-12 thing, it's the only class that they're put into where they're with their general ed peers. However, maybe they have no, the, the teachers have no training, it's a larger setting, it's a lot noisier, and it ends up being a negative experience. Um, to say that that's inclusion, I'm not sure is correct. Rather, Inclusion is occurring when it's, I think, a positive experience where we have this sense of belonging and acceptance within the larger group. But that's just my perception um, on what inclusion is. And I think that type of inclusion can lead to independence and all these greater outcomes. Absolutely. And Professor, uh, talking to you, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what why you're so passionate about this work and the work that you do. and any message that you would have for physical education teachers and teachers in general about uh, how they can better incorporate uh, students with disabilities? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll hit the first one uh, or the, se the second part about how teachers can be maybe better include students with disabilities. And I think my big my big thing that I'm getting on right now is 
listening to their students, asking their students, talking to their students in whatever way that they communicate and trying to see what it is that, you know, what do they want their curriculum driven? How, like, what are the things, what are the physical activity, physical education components that they're most interested in? What are they most likely to do outside in their community? But also to understand, like, how are they feeling about their experience? Um, I think that we need to give autonomy to our students and give them voice. I think that when we're talking about students with disabilities and, and just K-12 students in general, we're very teacher driven overall and that we need to be a little bit more student driven. Um, why I'm interested in adapted physical education, you know, I have a long drawn out origin story, uh, but Overall, you know, I think what initially drove me is I have a younger brother who's 10 years younger than me, who has a, a you know, a milder disability. Uh, but I watched my mom um, go through kind of the struggle of being a parent of a special education that had to, had to navigate the special education process. Not that it, I think the struggle of having a child with a disability was is too difficult but I think the process of having to go through the special education process was very difficult on my mother of, of these trained professionals often telling her how, what my brother's aptitude or what type of jobs he was gonna get when he was in sixth grade, fifth grade. Um, he's doing very well now. And uh, she was told several times that he was not gonna be able to have a job. Um, and those, th you know, so those are things that that drove me to kind of get into the field of advocacy. And and I started working with kids uh, in a soccer program when I was early on in my college experience. And I had this wonderful person. Um, I actually got my my bachelor's in special ed, and then in my master's, I met this great person at Wayne State University, which I'm sure you're well aware of, being in Windsor, and um, that you know hooked me into adaptive physical education. And, you know, so, and I really have become very passionate about the curriculum and what it can offer kids with disabilities uh, uniquely to other areas. And I just, I believe it's a civil rights issue that people with disabilities should be able to access quality physical activity, quality physical education, health and wellness should be a civil rights thing. And it should be something that all people have access to. Uh, and as you know, you see me on my soapbox right now, these are the things that kind of drove me to get passionate about it. Yeah, Professor, I, I can see that we have a similar synergies of interest at all. Tell you a quick story. I actually am an identical twin brother. So I, I have an identical twin brother and we were both born with a cerebral palsy. Uh, my brother Keith is actually studying for his PhD currently at Wayne State in uh, sports and exercise uh, psychology. Uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with Wayne State. And uh, my brother actually grew out of his CP and affects things like his um, handwriting still. But I, I think that uh, uh, any way we can open up uh, doors of inclusion when it comes to physical education and my background in inclusive employment, it's always a good thing. So I want to commend you for the good work that, that you're doing. 
I appreciate it, Kevin. And that's, that is interesting that you got a brother there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, and it's always interesting, uh, to meet twin brothers too. I'm sure that you all have a lot of, uh, unique things just from being twin brothers. I've, I have a uh, very good friends that are twin brothers and they're always coming up with crazy stories about their childhood. So, uh, twin telepathy. That's exactly yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Professor, I know that you're originally from uh, Detroit, so I'm curious to uh, get your thoughts on what you miss most about this region. As you know, I, I live in Windsor and Essex County, which is right across the river from Detroit. And my, yeah. da my dad's originally from Detroit, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you miss most about this region. Oh, man. All right. You hit me on my, on, on the things that I'm very, so I've been gone for like seven years, um, eight, seven, eight years, which seems really long. I love the city of Detroit. I lived, I'm an East Sider. Uh, I grew up in St. Clair Shores in East Point on like eight mile and Gratiot area. And, uh, and then also I lived in Midtown. I lived in North End. So those are kind of, if, if you're familiar with the areas, those are my, so I'm a, uh, but I love, um, man, I love, I miss a lot about Detroit. I had a big thriving and large community of people that were in the art scenes and all. So I miss a lot of that stuff. And I miss, um, I miss the, the music. I miss um, the jazz fest. I miss, um, you know, I miss kind of just seeing the things that I would see every day. I used to live right next to the Motown Museum and Fisher Building and, you know, taking a jog and seeing those things on a daily basis. Um, but you know, yeah, I miss, I miss the, the culture that was there too. I, I'm a, I, I was fully infatuated with, with the city of Detroit and I miss, uh, quite a bit about it and I miss the bars and I miss the restaurants and I miss, um, and there's definitely specifics that I miss, uh, you know, and, and, there's just you know cast cafe <laughs> i don't know how how much you're familiar with all the detroit kind of icons or lafayette uh coney islands and all those things and i miss all that stuff i got married on belle isle uh so i am a uh i am a pretty you know um and i can actually trace my family back to detroit from like the 1850s so i am a i'm a hardcore detroiter and so it's hard to, for me all of my families in the area still are most 90% of them. And uh, so it's, it's hard for me to not be in, in my city of, uh, of, you know, that I, that I love. So. Yeah, professor, uh, the midtown and downtown area certainly uh, changed a lot. And uh, one thing about uh the new Detroit downtown is that all, all four major uh, sports uh, arenas are, are within a quarter mile of each other. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know if you can see it. It's in my corner. There's a Rip Hamilton uh, over there. There's a Rip Hamilton bobblehead. So, yes, no, I because uh, what right when I was moving, they actually tore down my favorite bar called the Comet Bar to put up uh, the um, – little caesar's arena right so i had mixed feelings about it because i was like literally i just it was in um the cast corridor area which is now basically not even a thing because there's the, all the stadiums but uh yeah so the stadiums came in and um 
I, you know, it basically was coming up when I was leaving. So I didn't get to enjoy it because I'm a basketball fanatic. But um, yeah, every time I come home, I always go to a Pistons game, even though usually it doesn't end well. And, uh, but yeah, so um, those are, uh, yes, I loved, I, you know, and I, at Wayne State, I had my graduation ceremony on Ford Field, um, which was really cool. So, um, I, you know, I've been to so many hockey games and Tiger games and, and uh, Lions games growing up. Um, I have, you know, very fond memories of all those things. Well, I'll tell you, the, the uh, rallying cry around these parts this day is for all four uh, Detroit major sports students, professors, embrace the rebuild. So <laughs> you turn on the radio, that's all you hear. But I'll tell you, 2004 was the last time the Pistons were actually relevant. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're going through uh, – uh, painful but necessary rebuild, I think, Professor. So, uh, being a Detroit sports fan myself, I can relate to your uh, uh, <laughs> trials and tribulations, Professor, for sure. Oh, here, okay. Are you a Pistons fan? Um, if I had to root for a basketball team, I, I would root for Detroit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just. I'm. They, I think very positive about their rookies right now. I'm very positive. Very high on them. So. Well, we'll there's nowhere to go but up, Professor, right? <laughs> so, yes, yes. And my final question for you, Professor, is I'm wondering if you've given any thought to your overall legacy and how you want your work in the field of adaptive physical education to be defined. Oh, man, that is a, that's a tough question, man. That's you know, I'm only, for the last one. That's only my... I'm only in my third year as an assistant professor, so I should state that. So I, I'm new in the field, you know, at least in people that have been working 40 years as an assistant professor. I, you know, I'm not sure I can accurately, you know, address that. I think I'm dabbling in a lot of areas. And I guess the thing I like to do is to better disseminate and translate knowledge and research about the field of adapted physical education out to the to our practitioners out to the school administrators and like even like what you're doing out to the wider public i think that um the word needs to get out that this is in the law that it's important um and that it's a civil rights issue and that we need to put more emphasis on it and um i guess that's what i would very much hope that in you know 30 five years when I'm all said and done uh, that I can, you know, rest my cap on, but I, I need a lot of people to help me out with that too. So it's not, that's not an individual endeavor. Well, professor, I have to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed our time together and our conversation. And I want to commend you for the work that you've already done and wish you all the best of luck in the future. And I want to uh, sincerely, thank you for joining me in conversation this morning. It's most appreciated. I appreciate it, Kevin. Uh, it was a fun conversation, and it's always nice to go on somebody else's podcast. So, It's always nice to be on the other side of the camera, isn't it? It is. It is. Absolutely, Professor. Have a great... Oh, uh, before I let you go, how can uh, people uh, get in contact with you if they're so inclined to do so? Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Scott McNamara 12. Uh, and then um, 
my, and then they can check out my podcast, What's New in Adapted Physical Education. And if they wanted to send me an email, they can contact me at scott.mcnamara at uni.edu. Fantastic, Professor. Thank you for letting me uh, virtually travel down to Iowa. And again, I really enjoyed our uh, time together and uh, for you sharing your expertise. It's most appreciated. I appreciate it. Take care.